This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's another edition of the Equalizer podcast. We are firmly into June now. We have a schedule for the preliminary rounds of the NWSL Challenge Cup in Utah. And we've got the 2015 NWSL draft to review this week. My name is Dan Lawletta. Chelsea Bush, John Halloran are with me. And uh, Chelsea, John, uh, we're going to do this week on the 2015 draft because I just don't think there's enough content necessarily to get us from the uh, the announcement of the Challenge Cup into those games, but rest assured, when we get to the games, we will be doing heavy podcasting on what's actually going on on the field. But real quick, and I will start with Chelsea. Uh, Megan Rapino looks like she is not going to play for the rain during this Challenge Cup. No comment from Rapino, but from Farid Ben City, the coach with the rain. And let's just do a go quick around the table about our thoughts on Rapino not suiting up for the rain. I think for me, it was kind of unsurprising. She's at the end of her career. You know, she's she's had problems with injuries. I think this is her not taking any chances that she won't be able to continue and then play in the Olympics next year. Because I think, you know, one thing we've talked about a little bit, but we, we don't really know what the long-term effects of this could be. And if you catch coronavirus, it is something that affects your lungs. And this could be career-ending for, at the worst-case scenario, this could be career-ending for an athlete. So, um you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. At some point, we'll be able to say she made the right call or she was overreacting. Um, but for right now, I just I don't think it's that surprising. Yeah, I don't think uh, there's there's any criticism to be laid either, either because of her concerns over coronavirus or even if it's just related to the tournament itself. Because we're talking about seven games played in less than a month. It's very much a World Cup type schedule for teams that go deep into the knockout rounds and we saw last summer that playing in that type of a condensed format obviously um caused some issues for her uh, in terms of like i think it was her hamstring in the world cup so this is a player who is uh probably looking at making her swan song at the what is now the 2021 summer olympics and if she's got to do what she's got to do uh, to stay healthy for that. We've talked about this multiple times before. U.S. players make their money from their U.S. appearances. Um, and so I think prioritizing that is uh, something that, that she's probably looking at. And uh, that's not to mention either that these games uh, in the knockout or in the group stage are going to be played on turf. Yeah, I, um, I wish she would be there. I don't think she'll be the only one who's not there, but I'm not really going to criticize anybody who doesn't want to go and be part of this, you know, and it's not a money issue because they're all going to get their money anyway. So, you know, you have to assume that it's a concern about either injury or catching the coronavirus. So I'm not going to hold that against anybody. 
All right, 2015 NWSL draft. This was a good one. It is famous because so many players drafted by the Flash helped that team win in 2016 and are still with that team, which is now the Courage, and they're still winning just about everything in sight. But let's do it as we have done 2013 and 14 and go right on down the line. And the number one pick was Morgan Bryan. This was, as most of the number one picks have been throughout the history of this league, pretty cut and dry. She would be the number one pick. The only thing was that it was kind of apparent at that point that she would probably be going to the World Cup. I know she also had to finish school. And I remember Randy Waldrum saying, we really won't have her a lot. He was the coach of the Dash at the time. We won't have her a lot, but it's worth it. She's so fantastic. She, I think she won the Herman twice, right? Am I right about that? Yes. But um, I, I'm also going to go on the record and say this was not a – successful pick for the dash i think there are better players down draft and i don't think she gave them really enough to justify uh the use of that pick yeah i I think i think at the time she was a clear number one she was the two-time herman trophy winner um far and away and then fantastic player in college fantastic player for youth teams uh another uh member of that u20 squad that we talked about so much last time um, was already in with the senior national team, as you said, was looked to be a, a pretty good lock for the for the World Cup that year. Um, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm with you. I'm actually gonna say I think this is kind of a bust as far as a number one draft pick, particularly for the team that drafted her. Um, she she was you know much more of an attacking player in college, kind of accidentally sort of ended up playing a, a deeper role. I don't know that 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 suited her. Well, except at the 2015 World Cup, um, kind of struggled to find her place in the pros, was injured a lot, never really played a, a role, a factor in Houston at all, whether it was a factor in their whatever success they had or a factor in, in the lack of success that they, they definitely did have. Um, so I think she's improved a little bit with Chicago, and that's just much a factor of being able to stay healthy for longer. So I know it sounds really crazy to say that a two-time World Cup winner is, is a bust, but you, you look at who else was out there, and you have to think, in hindsight, if the Dash could have picked, say, Sam Mewis, how differently would, would things have turned out for them? You know, I think you got to look at this in, in two different ways. I think sitting there in 2015, picking up Morgan Bryan is a no-brainer because she's pro-ready, right? I mean, a few months after she's drafted, she's starting in a World Cup. Uh, she was also right there on that bubble. As Chelsea mentioned, she'd already been called into national team camps. She was right there on the bubble of allocation status, which, of course, relieves your salary requirements a little bit on the team end. But then again, as both of you have already mentioned, when you look at this with a little bit of a longer term lens, she not only hasn't uh, or didn't contribute much to Houston, but I think even her, her club career overall uh, certainly is not where a lot of people would have expected it to be. And whether you want to chalk that up to injuries and, and um, or her moving around or even what was happening in Houston, because we've talked about this before, you know, when you get called into a team like this, um, I think it's also fair to look at how a player would have developed. Like you mentioned Sam Mewis, Chelsea. I wonder what happens with Sam Mewis if she's picked by Houston? Does her career have a completely different arc? Um and I think that's it's a fair question, just because we know that that players that get picked into teams that aren't very successful tend to have um, 
challenges. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, and again, you could probably, I think Brian probably would have struggled with injuries no matter what team she was on, but you could, could wonder if she'd been on a different team, would she have developed differently? And I also think it's fair to blame some of those injuries on the U.S. I think, and, and Morgan has talked about that, uh, before too, that, you know, there were times where she was telling the staff that she was hurt and they weren't listening or didn't believe her or thought it was psychosomatic. The Dash also traded Morgan Bryan to Chicago for Christy Mewis was part of that trade. And I think, John, you had mentioned on the 2013 draft show that you thought Mewis was the best player out of that draft. And she was really getting good a few years ago, tore ACL. You know, I think she's one of those players that's kind of in an unfortunate spot, only getting the seven games this particular season. But I think they did okay in the end with Morgan Bryan. But at the end of the day, they haven't made the playoffs ever. They haven't made the playoffs in the five years since they made this draft pick. So it's hard to say that with that pick and with all the other talent in this draft. And at the end, I want to go over how many other players in the first round we would take over Morgan Bryan right now. Yeah. But let's let's save that till we go through the other. Because the second pick was Sarah Killian from UCLA. Start of a huge day for UCLA. And ironically, Jim Gabara, who coaches Sky Blue and made that pick, told me at one point, yeah, I might have taken Killian even if I had the number one pick. Now, I think every coach says that, right, when you get the number two pick. Like, yeah, of course we would have taken her uh, number one. Killian is a weird player to me because I, she got tipped by so many people to be on the national team. Got to be on the national team. Got to be. Got to get a shot. Got to get called up. Got to get a camp. I think she's gotten a camp or two. I think she's an okay league player, but I, to me, and I watch an awful lot of Sky Blue games, she doesn't stand out to me. I think she, you know, she's not doesn't stand out as being a bad player, but she doesn't stand out as being someone that is a huge game changer in your midfield. That's just my opinion. Maybe I'm showing how shallow I am in terms of soccer tactics, but I don't I don't see her as a game changer. Who wants okay. to follow up that one? <laughs> to go back to what you said about her, you know, being a big day for UCLA. This, as much as the you know, the last time we talked about the 2012 US 20, U20 team, um, this is the UCLA draft from that 2013 national championship. I I think Killian, and even at the time, I and mean, yeah, she she was picked to do well. I still thought. Two was a little high for her. Um, but I think she's been solid for Sky Blue. Like, not outstanding, but steady enough. Um, enough, as you said, she, she did get some looks. I do believe Jill Ellis said that she didn't play the game fast enough for, for the national team, which I think is probably a fair assessment. Um, but I think she's been pretty solid for Sky Blue. This is another one I think you gotta look at where she ended up because we're talking about a club that has struggled in almost all of the years that she's been there. So do we really, do we even, I know this is, we're talking about 2015, we're talking about five years ago, but do we really know what Sarah Killian can do on a good team? Uh, that's another question we just don't have the answer to. Because you're right, if you look down draft, five, six players you'd probably take ahead of her now. At least. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, what what does she do if she ends up getting drafted to Western New York or Chicago or the rain? We we just don't know that. The interesting thing also about Killian is that I just completely lost my train of thought. So we're going to move on to the to the next player because I have no idea what I was about to say. But I think I'll you know I'll come back to me at some point on the show. Flash picked next. They got Dal Kemper and Mewis at three and four, and we like to group those together. 
both from UCLA, by the way. And what do you say? I mean, they both stepped in and started immediately. They have both been, I believe they both started every playoff game for the Flash and Courage since then. They were both on the World Cup winning team. They were both on the fast track to the Olympic roster for this summer. I mean, uh, you know, franchise changing picks right there. It's just, you can't say much more about them than that. They've both been tremendous. I think the fascinating thing about this draft is that when you looked at it in at the end of 2015, everybody had the very distinct impression that Chicago had won the draft. And I know we'll get to those picks a little bit later. But by the time you get to 2016, 2017, 2018, when you start to see what Dahl Kemper and Mewis can do, not only in helping the Flash to that championship in 2016, but since, uh, both with club and country, the narrative on that draft or this draft has changed quite a bit over the last couple of years from where it was uh, in the year or two immediately following. The Mewis pick, just real quick, the Mewis pick, by the way, was a straight-up trade for Sam Kerr for that pick, so not a bad trade for both teams. You know, the Flash don't have the the picks that they chose in this first round in this draft. They don't go on to, to become the dynasty that they have. Yeah. I mean, that, that they made their team on these draft picks. Yeah, it's not easy to do either. I mean, I think if you get four first-round picks and maybe two of them become really good for your team, I think that's a win to have all four of them become firm, legitimate starters. And, you know, there could have maybe been a world. We'll get to the other two picks in a minute, but there could have been a world where all four were on the same national team together. Although, you know, that didn't happen. Interesting thing about Dal Kemper was when they first, I forget who the center back pairing was in 15, but they had Dal Kemper mostly playing at right back. It was, uh, it was Engen. Wasn't it Engen? One in of them 15? was Brittany, Brittany Taylor, I think was one of them. I can, I'm sorry. Uh, are we talking 2015 or 2016? 2015. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. I was thinking 2016. I jumped ahead a year. My bad. Because I remember, because Riley got the job ahead of 2016. And I said, is Abby Dahlkemper going to be a right back, uh, center back? Or are you thinking about keeping her at right back? And he cut me off and he said 100%. Like that was like his absolute first thing he was doing was making Abby Dahlkemper a center back. I think that was a good move. I'm pretty sure Brittany Taylor on that team and was it nope not a still and Whitney Engen that's yeah those were the starters so I guess Engen missed some time for the World Cup but those were the uh center backs in 15 or Taylor and, and Engen also want right. to point out real quick yep. um that out of all the flashes first round four first round draft picks who have now been capped numerous times by the national team um only one of those Sam Mewis was getting looks from the senior national team at that point but t- talks a lot about what Paul Riley's been able to do as far as their development. Yeah, absolutely. That's very fair. All right. The fifth pick was actually the Red Stars. They took Steph McCaffrey, but by the end of the first round, they had traded her to Boston. And part of that deal with the Boston trade was they got picks number nine and 11, which we'll get to in a little bit. And I think Steph McCaffrey is kind of the tragedy of this round because I think McCaffrey was on her way to being a really good player. And John, maybe you should take the lead on this because I think you wrote about um, some of the things physically that kind of hindered her career. And now, you know, she's 
a former player, but you know, I obviously you have to look at this pick and say it wasn't a great pick, uh, and certainly wasn't a great trade when you look at you know the players that the Red Stars wound up with. But I think it's more of an injury thing than a bad pick. It's interesting because I think if you if you were to look at this draft uh, a year after, so let's we're sitting down in a room. It's January of 2016. At that point, you're thinking McCaffrey's a great pick because in the spring of 2016 is when you start to see her push her way into the national team pool. She had a really spectacular couple of games in the January camp. And then uh, I, I'm trying to remember who the friendly, I think maybe it was against Ireland, but had had a really standout game. Um, and so was heading into 2016 looking like, hey, this is the next great winger for the U.S. national team. And then obviously, you're right, it derailed. That summer is when she comes to Chicago, and then it never really, uh, she never kind of really gets back on track. And then I believe it was the beginning of 2018 when she started having um, those health issues, and that uh, obviously led to the end of her career. Do you guys also remember that the U23 camp always happens right before the draft? And some years they take a couple of those players and call them into the senior team. And McCaffrey was one of those. And it was kind of surprising. And a lot of people think that actually boosted her draft stock in the last couple of days because she got called in as an addition to the senior camp. All right. So nobody else remembers that, but, but me, obviously. <laughs> Trust me, it happened. Uh, Chelsea, any, you got anything on McCaffrey? Just that I, I think that her story would be entirely different if it wasn't for health issues outside of her control. I really thought that, that she had kind of hit a rut in Boston and going to Chicago was definitely the right move. Um, and I, I would have liked to see that sort of unfold over time. Um, but I just don't think she, she got a chance to really show us really what she was capable of in her prime as a player. And it's sad. And also a sometimes member of uh, Team Equalizer has been Steph McCaffrey in recent times. All right, Flash got back on the board at 6-7, and seven, and they took players that, at least in my limited knowledge of the college game, didn't really know who they were. Lynn Williams from Pepperdine, of all places, and Jaylene Hinkle from Texas Tech. And, you know, they told me that they thought they were getting the best left back in the draft, and I think that has borne out with Hinkle. And Williams was about the fastest player anybody had ever seen, and that has been borne out as well. And I think I think Lynn Williams is un, I think they're both underrated, to be honest with you. Obviously, very key contributors. And the thing about Williams, she finished her career at Pepperdine. She didn't really have a full rookie season. She was in and out a lot. You know, they got her in when they could. They put her in some games, but she didn't actually start training full time with the Flash until maybe late May, early June. But, again, they have been mainstays on title teams, and I do think there are worlds that exist where both those players could have been in France last summer. I think at the time, Williams was definitely a surprise pick just because she, she wasn't she wasn't that well-known. You know, she, she went to a school that's not necessarily well-known for its soccer program, wasn't a shining star on the, the youth scene. Um, so... In 2015, definitely surprise pick, um, but the Flash have made us all look like fools forever doubting her because she has paid them, and then, you know, as they became the courage um, in dividends. 
Both of them, too, have skill sets which have allowed North Carolina to play that box midfield, which was not something that they were doing in those early days. Um, Williams' pace obviously allows her to break in behind lines, which is a, which is what allows them to play the way they do on the counter. But also, Daniels, how many outside backs in this league can you put on an island the way that they do in that system uh, that can still uh, – keep the other team in front of them uh, and not only do what she does defensively, but also what she contributes to the attack being a natural left footer, which is also a rarity. So she, you know, her, her natural abilities um, combined with her ability to play one V one defense and contribute to the attack are all three things uh, that make them able to play that system because they have a left back like Daniels. And you just said Daniels. That's Jaylene Hinkle's married name. She hasn't played under that name yet, but will uh, starting this summer. Um, I think that Hinkle Daniels probably has as good a service into the box as any outside back that this league has seen so far, and certainly left-footed because her service is fabulous. Anyone want to disagree with that? It is. No, it I is. completely agree. On. Pure ability, I, I don't think there's a huge amount of doubt that she's, you know, either the best or the top, one of the top two left backs in the league. And if you go to that 18 final in Portland, I thought that she literally dominated the first half of that game. And I think that's really difficult for an outside back to do. And, it, you know, and it's not like she's one of these dynamic attacking outside backs and then she just didn't have to play any defense because she just spent all of her time forward. But she was by far the best player on the field in the first 45 minutes of that final in 2018 and was as big a reason as any that that game was pretty much over at halftime. Speaking of over, let's call it quits on segment number one. We'll be back. The Red Stars made the final two picks of the first round and then had some more Valuable picks after that, and some really good second-round picks and beyond came out of this draft as well. Chelsea, John, and me, Dan, we are recapping the 2015 NWSL Draft on the Equalizer podcast. Hey, everyone. Jeff Kasouf here, founder of the Equalizer. We'll get back to the podcast in just a moment, but first, I want to make sure you know about another podcast that we have called Kicking Back. In Kicking Back, I speak with players, coaches, and personalities from across women's soccer about defining moments in their careers and what their futures hold. It's a casual, conversational podcast featuring superstars of the game and unsung heroes you probably don't know enough about. We talked to Becky Sauerbrunn about the moment she realized that she was good enough to play for the U.S. national team. Crystal Dunn describes her love-hate relationship with constantly switching positions and how she and her husband manage working for rival NWSL teams. Allie Riley traces her globe-trotting journey and shares her Oscar-worthy video moments and top vegan recipes. Jill Ellis details the tactical nuance most people missed as she guided the U.S. to back-to-back World Cup titles. Beverly Yanez reflects on the growth of her game throughout her career and when she knew it was time to start the next chapter. Our podcast is wide-ranging and our list of guests ever-growing. You can find Kicking Back, no G in there, just an apostrophe because we're keeping it casual, on any platform you use to stream podcasts, including this one right here. Just like with this podcast, subscribers to the Equalizer Extra get an ad-free version, so be sure to subscribe to all of our exclusive content, which includes text, audio, everything, at equalizersoccer.com slash subscribe. 
When you finish up with this pod, please go ahead and check out our latest on kicking back. We hope the two of these complement each other nicely as you dive deeper into women's soccer. Back for segment two of the Equalizer podcast, reviewing the 2015 NWSL draft, which was a day that changed the face of the NWSL. And if you're not familiar with us on the web, check us out at EqualizerSoccer.com or for premium content, EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe. And we've got less than three weeks now until the kickoff of the NWSL Challenge Cup. So expect a lot of great activity and content surrounding that event, which will be in Utah with all nine teams. No Megan Rapino. We'll see who else decides to opt out between now and June 27th. Last two picks of the first round. Oh, also my point about um, Killian that I have for spaced out of my head earlier was that if Killian were like the 12th pick or the 20th pick, I think we'd be viewing her as a really solid pick who's a really solid player. I think as the two pick, just judging it based on the draft, you have to, they have to get a little bit of a hit for that pick. I try not to blame the players for this because, you know, they don't, they're not the ones that make the picks. Anyway, Red Stars went eight and they took Aaron Gilliland, who is now Aaron Wright. And then I believe after that, they announced the trade with the Breakers and they picked up the ninth and 11th picks. And with the 11th pick, they took Danielle Colaprico. And these are not maybe, Dal Kemper, Mewis, Williams, Hinkle level of player, but right there and certainly franchise changing. And I thought in 2016 that Colaprico had a case to be the MVP of the entire league. And I think what's most impressive about Colaprico is that she's in a midfield with Julie Ertz and they don't work well together. And yet Colaprico has still managed to be a very key piece of that Red Stars team that has been in the playoffs every season since she got there. Yeah, those are the, I mean, you know, between Gilly, Colaprico, and Huerta, those are the three that push them into the playoffs in, in 2015. That's why I talked about how the narrative of this draft has kind of changed over time from the, you know, Chicago having the draft, the best draft to the flash, because, you know, obviously, uh, it changed a little bit in the years to come, but these are these are the three, right? And that the funny thing to me is that all three were candidates for Rookie of the Year, um, which is crazy to think when you look at a, a list where you've got three players from the same team who who a lot of people were pushing for um, to to be the Rookie of the Year. Yeah. Do you buy? Go ahead, Chelsea. You go. No, no, you go. Let's say if. If you think that Chicago kind of started t- turning things around to the 14th, they, they sort of finished it in 15, and you combine those two together, and that's that's how you get the success that they've had, even if it hasn't led to hardware. You, you can't deny that they've consistently been one of the best teams in the league um, based around these, these three draft picks they have here and then the ones we talked about last time. Because Huerta also is the one who carries them goal-scoring-wise through that summer. Absolutely, and how about – it's a good point you make, Chelsea, because they get Ertz – and Di Bernardo in 14, and Wright and Colaprico in 15. How about that for a back-to-back dual first-round pick performance? Yeah. Um, do we buy into the notion that if Wright had not gotten pregnant and had played through the playoffs, that they might have had a chance against the Courage? I don't buy it, but I've heard it. I've heard it mentioned. 
I mean, what I don't. What would that have changed, really? It, it, I guess maybe Gordon goes in and plays center back when Davidson goes down. Because I think you can make the reverse case that her going out of the lineup actually helped because that's, I think, kind of what triggered Ertz and Davidson at center back, right, and Gordon moving outside. Yeah, that, that's a good chicken or the egg conversation, whether they were headed that direction before um, or not, because it did seem it did seem late in that year that Naughton was kind of being pushed out. And if that was going to be the case, you were going to have to move Ertz into the back line. Um, so I'm not I'm not really sure. I guess it, it probably does change things a little bit in that final game when Davidson gets hurt. Cause I get, I would bet they go Gordon at center back and then use Gilly and, and short as the outsides. But, um, I don't know. I mean, they got their butts kicked in the final. I'm not <laughs> sure that that, 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 that really is going to make that big of a difference. I'm kind of with you there. All due respect to, to Aaron Gilliland, but I don't think she's that kind of game changing player that yeah. the, the, the fate of one game can rest on her shoulders. And right, they, we'll go, they all played terribly. Sorry. Well, they did. Not a good, not a good performance top to bottom. We'll go team by team now, starting with the first pick of the second round. Sky Blue took Kristen Grubka at 10. They later got back in with Daphne Corbaz at 22, Shade Pratt at 25, Chioma Ubogagu at 28, and Lola Banta at 34. There's actually a lot to discuss here. Um, I, you know, Grubka was okay. And I think Grubka maybe was a victim of the Christy Holly era because I think she kind of maybe elected to stay away from that team at, at some point and and you know put the curtain down on her career. And uh, you know if you're wondering why Ubogagu was 28, it's because she was already overseas, and then they wound up getting a late round pick from the Dash the next year, and then Obogu came back into the league, went to Houston and Orlando, now is back overseas. Labonta at 34 is a nice pick. Unfortunately, um, not nothing for Sky Blue, but interesting interesting names there, don't you think? She's third to the last, Labonta, third to the last pick. Yeah. And she's still playing and still getting significant minutes. Yep. So, again, we talk about, like, value to the pick. There's great value there. Yeah, I think if most or all of these players had played significant number of minutes for Sky Blue, it'd be a great draft for them. They picked good players. Corbos is a good player. Bogogu's a good player. Labonta's a good, you know, late pick. Um, the problem is that most of them didn't play a whole lot for Sky Blue. Or at all. I, I think, too, they had their eyes on Cole Aprico at 10, and they were not pleased when the Red Stars swooped in and traded up. And Cole Aprico's from New Jersey, too, so that would have been a hometown player. And and I really do believe that, especially in her early years, that Cola Prico was good enough to change the fortunes of a franchise around. Uh, back to the Red Stars. They got in at 11, and they took Huerta. I don't think that's a surprise because they've already mentioned it. Carol Walls at 23, Nicole Setterland at 27, and Rachel Tejada at 32. Uh, Walls played a little bit, but otherwise it's pretty much their top picks. But, you know, Huerta... You know, she, I mean, she had an up and down career with the Red Stars in a lot of ways, but also was a very, very good player for them. They also got a number of first round draft picks in the trade that eventually sent her to Houston and a whole bunch of other players to Utah. Um, yep. That's also the tri- the pick that came back to them. One of the picks that came back to them was the one they used to get Tierna Davidson. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that really is the story of the, 
Red Star's draft history is not only did they draft well, but they seem to go home every year with more future yep. capital than they got there with. Yeah, they're not afraid to trade for the future because they've never really been in that position where they need to win now. And you could probably make a joke in there about how they, you know, have struggled to get past the semifinal round too. But they've they don't they don't do like let's go for broke type of moves. It's well, very methodical. But to do that, you've got to hit with the key picks, and they've hit with almost every real key pick they've had. Yeah, except for that, the you know, that first one the that we talked about. Yes, that keeps the roster strong. Chelsea, any red? They got stars? some value out of uh, Walls too, just so we don't. Yeah, step Walls over was that. not bad. Walls wasn't it, a bad player for a bit. Chelsea, any Red Stars thoughts before we move on? Yeah, no, I mean not, nothing that hasn't been said already. All right, FC Kansas City did not pick in the first round. They had Shea Groom at 12, Megan Strait at 16, Caitlin Rowland at 17, Jessica Ayers at 26, and Casey Clark at 35. And I'll tell a quick story, and then you guys can talk about the players. But I saw Vlako Andonovsky in one of the hotels the day before the draft, and he had a huge smile on his face, like bigger than the usual Vlatko smile. And I jokingly said, did you just trade for the number one overall pick? And he's like, ah, ha, ha, no, no, no. But he was so high on Shea Groom at 12, and he was telling me that he would have taken Groom if he had the number one pick. And to some extent, that was justified in her early years. But um, And they did win the title in 15 with Groom as part of that team. If you've never gotten the chance to watch, it's funny that you told that story. If you've never gotten the chance to watch the 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 Vlatko press conference in Chicago, talking about Groom being on the national team, you should definitely do it. It's 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 worth your time. Not You're just part you of guys, that, aren't you? Well, we we don't know if it was me or Ray Curran who is also an Equalizer okay. contributor, but Ray was at that game. And Vlatko was talking about Groom being the next player for the national team. And I have a bad habit of not concealing my facial reactions when people talk. And uh, so I don't know if it was me. Ray thinks it was him. But one of us either rolled our eyes or somehow expressed uh, a reluctance to, to take him at his word there. And then he went on a... a Significant diatribe, and it was uh, it's well worth. Yeah, the, the two I, I have seen it, and I do yeah. say it is well worth it. And uh, you know, I've talked to Shea Groom, and I think that moment has been a bit of a burden on Shea Groom. Like I think she is almost playing now to try and live up to that belief that Blacko had in her all those years ago. And I mean, she could have, she was close, right? She was getting. I mean, I don't think she was ever the type of player that the national team tends to, uh, you know, gravitate toward, but she was pretty good for a few years. Yeah, she, she's had some, some good moments. Um, I, I just want to point out real quick to, to move on from Shea Groom that Kaylin Rowland has won four out of the last five NWSL championships. Yeah, she only played in one of them, though, right? She was great in that one, though. She was, yeah, 18, she, she was fantastic in that final. Fantastic. But, yeah, that's that's a heck of a resume. Even if she was a backup for most of it, that is right place, right time, man. She's she's done it. And she got her big break, pun intended, 2016. Sabrina D'Angelo, whose name is going to come up in a minute, broke her wrist before a flash game against Sky Blue. Actually played the game, but then was out for about a month, and that's when 
the Flash needed another keeper, and they traded for Roland because she had. I mean, she you know she was behind Nicole Barnhart in Kansas City. That's like being a goalkeeper in a black hole, and you know now Roland is one that kind of pivots in and out of that starting job for the for the Flash. But yeah, she you know when there if there's a final, Caitlin Roland's probably going to be part of it, right? It's pretty yeah. crazy to think that the Flash slash Courage have won three championships with three different keepers. Yep. For that's, sure. That's, that's insane. All right. Spirit went next at 13. And the thing about this number 13 pick is, I don't know if either of you two were at this draft. I think this pick got traded. In fact, my notes here say that it was from Sky Blue via the Dash and the Thorns. I think the Dash traded it to the Thorns, and the Thorns traded it to the Spirit. All right then. It took like 12 minutes. There were timeouts. I feel like Jess McDonald was one of the players that was moved in um, – also, player is now the English forward. Who's the English forward on the rain now? Who scored 10 goals for the Spirit? I was going to make Jody, look Taylor. Jody, Jody Taylor. Jody Taylor. He might have been also part of that. Anyway, the Spirit took Megan Oyster with that pick at 13. Caprice Didasco at 19. Whitney Church at 30. That's kind of a typical, like, quietly decent draft for that team, especially Oyster, who I think was and is fantastic. I think it's a, it's a great draft for the Spirit. When you especially consider how late most of their picks were, I mean, you don't have any first round draft picks. You've got sort of the end of, of the third and fourth round. I mean, I think these, they're good. You look at their 2016 team that went to the final. All three of these players were starting in that final and, and played key roles. I think. Um, I'm like you, Dan. I'm, I'm very high on Megan Oyster. I would still love to see her get get into the national team. I think she's got the the potential with her. Um, I think it's a great draft for them. John, you want to chime in on Washington? Nope. That's, I, I agree with you guys. Breakers went back at 14, got Jemiah Fields. That pick, um, nope, that's all right. They got Jemiah Fields at 14, Samantha Lofton at 20, Bianca Brinson at 24, Stephanie Verdoya at 29, Bianca Calderon at 33. And I remember... Tom Durkin, after the draft, saying that after a certain point, they just went with local players, which is not a horrible idea. And the Red Stars do that and do it much better than the Breakers did in this case. But, man, other, you know, Fields is still around but didn't do much with the Breakers. Verdoya played a little bit, but that that's not a good uh, it's not a good collection of draft picks there. McCaffrey was local, too. Yes, for sure. Obviously, that was much higher, and you're not going to do that with a five pick. I'm totally on purpose, but yeah. All right. The, the rain went at 15, Havana Salon, and then they did not pick again for quite a while. Um, they picked with the last pick. They got Kendall Romine. Salon didn't play for them, meaning that two years in a row, their top pick didn't play for them because the year before that was Amanda Frisbee. And, and Salon became okay. They traded her to Washington, and she became okay. But this draft, as much as any other, is part of the Laura Harvey doesn't like draft um, profile, right? Flash at 18, Tatiana Coleman, Sabrina D'Angelo at 21, and that is it. Nope, they also – yeah, no, that's it. So Coleman and D'Angelo – and when you consider the four players they got in the first round, the fact that they got D'Angelo, who started and won at, 
NWSL Championship and was the MVP of the game, in fact, when she stopped the three PKs against the Spirit in 16. I mean, the D'Angelo pick just puts this draft in on another orbit. And dropped the MVP trophy in the press conference. That's right. (laughs) Not the first player to do that, though. Always going to be her legacy no matter what she does. Uh It was just the irony was so fantastic that she had won it for her hands and... Well, and nobody really knows how she got it either, because I think the, it was supposed to be Crystal Dunn. Yeah, that they tied it. changed real quick when the score changed and, after the vote. <laughs> right. And she also like the first goal scored by Dunn was kind of a gaffe by D'Angelo. So, you know, it wouldn't have been my pick if I had to revote. But, you know, that also doesn't really phase me too much. Um, and you know what? There's a team we're missing. Do you know what team didn't pick? Portland. Portland Thorns, no picks in this draft. Now, they were part of that whole deal with Oyster, and they uh, had their worst year, so maybe it's not a good idea not to make picks. All right, we are getting ready to wrap up. We've got the Challenge Cup coming. Uh, the final question, though, best player from the draft. is it? Mm-hmm. I think it's obvious, even though there's a lot of good players. Mewis? It's got to be Sam Mewis. Yeah, I think it's me. I think you can make a case for taking Hinkle because you could maybe make a better midfield without Mewis than you could a back line without Hinkle. Is that fair? Well, D- Dahl Kemper, you can build your team around a center back too. Right, right, right. But I'm, but in terms of outside back, I think Hinkle might be a more valuable outside back per what else is available than Mewis in the midfield. Does that make yeah. any sense? I don't know, but I don't know if I agree with that. I think Mewis has a stunning soccer IQ, and um, you can you can build a team around her. I think she gives you offense. She gives you defense. I think she's got leadership. I couldn't say enough good things about Sam Mewis. I don't think I agree with you there, Dan. Is, okay. is I, mean, Gil- I agree with everything you said about Mewis. Gilliland's the next best outside back in the draft? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That is, yeah. That's for sure. Um, yeah, and I think Mewis is tremendous, and if you don't, you know, if you're looking to be sold on Sam Mewis, go back and watch the 2016 semi flash and thorns. And you won't regret it whether you think Sam Mewis played well or not, because it's one of the best soccer games I've ever seen. But Sam Mewis was incredible in that game. All right. Last item of business. Um, we're going to be saying goodbye to Chelsea at the end of this podcast. Um, it is Chelsea's decision and Chelsea's decision alone to not be part of the podcast anymore. And I'll just say that uh, the equalizer and this podcast and uh, even my existence are a lot better for uh, you being part of them. Thank you very much, Jen. Yeah, Charles, we're going to miss you. Thanks, John. So John and I and mystery host to follow will carry on with the podcast. The NWSL Challenge Cup begins June 27th. We'll probably start getting into the Uh, nooks and crannies of that as we head on forward thank you again for listening to the equalizer podcast for the ones who get going when the going gets tough and the ones who know we're tougher together for the pathfinders breaking new ground granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.